Fiora Fano, welcome. Welcome. Lovely jumper. Oh, she picked that up at the um, the clothes swap the other night. Beautiful. So I think we're just going to get started. As most people are here right now. Um, what do we need? Cool. Welcome. Has anyone is anyone here for the first time for formation tonight? No. Yes. Ah, oh, welcome. Cool. Awesome. Um, so for the rest of us, we know that formation is slightly different to our normal church service. We don't um, get start doing any singing and we, we basically just get straight in with the talking and the thinking. Um, it's basically a theological sort of, or a way to explore the, th- the thoughts that we have and the thoughts that we've grown up with and um, dig a little bit deeper and see if we can rethink about those things. Um, so tonight, this is the last session of the series, What on Earth Did Jesus Die For? And today we're going to wrap it up. Um, maybe not. I like what Greg said this morning. He was like, maybe we won't have um, 10 answers to these questions at the end of the night, but we probably have more questions, but maybe a slightly broader thought process about Jesus and the cross and things around that. Um, so tonight is called, what is tonight? What is the gospel? And um, that's what Michael's going to be talking about this evening. Um, so I think just before we begin, we're going to, um, instead of worship, just have a little centering prayer, a little that we're going to put up on the board. And this is one um, Michael sent through a whole lot of prayers that we've sort of come across or not yet come across. And this one jumped out at me as something that... Uh, I don't know, really resonated. So I'm just going to read it through and you can all listen um, and read along with me. Um, We pray for another way of being, another way of knowing. Across the difficult terrain of our lives, of our existence, we have attempted to build a highway. In doing so, we have lost our footpath. God lead us to our footpath. Lead us there where in simplicity we may move at the speed of natural creatures and feel the earth's love beneath our feet. Lead us there where step by step we may feel the movement of creation in our hearts. And lead us there where side by side we may feel the embrace of the common soul. Nothing can be loved at speed. God, lead us to the slow path, to the joyous insights of the pilgrim, another way of knowing another way of being. Amen. Over to you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Hey, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. I've got this issue with the microphone. I noticed this last week when I was talking because I always hold this with my right hand, but I've got two fingers that I can't hold it with at the moment. And so then I ain't. What happened? Oh, that's an opportunity for a story. You didn't have to ask that. Some people know this already. But I did, um, I did last Saturday night, I cooked roast, roast lamb. Very good. Just finishing off the gravy, reducing that gravy down a little bit. It's tasting good. And... Uh, was around in my sister-in-law's place and she's got gas hobs and one of them's quite aggressive so it, it gives off quite a bit of flame and there was a, a plastic um, fish slice type 
thing hang, uh, that was on the stovetop that was obviously hanging a little bit over the element. So anyway, it had melted, but I did not know that, so I grabbed it. And um, I did that original thing that, you know, the thing you do when you normally touch something really hot, which is you immediately pull your hand away. And I did that, and I was like, nope, still burning. <laughs> and so the plastic had kind of melted to my fingers there. So that was a, a good time at the A&E on a Saturday night in Waitakere Hospital. Um, anyway, a lot of codeine later, and I'm feeling great. <laughs> uh, oh, I should have put the photo up on the slide. Looks great. No, I shouldn't have. No. Some people would be like, yes. Some people would leave. Anyway, um, we're going to get into a bit of a chat uh, now. And as Renee mentioned, this is the final one in our series, uh, What on Earth Did Jesus Die For? Before we get into that, I want to mention uh, what our new series is going to be, which is starting in two weeks' time. So this is the final one of this little series. And, uh, and next time, we are starting a series called Stairway to Heaven. And, um, oh, hang on. So this is uh, our series of topics for the next series. Uh, we're starting with uh, Heavenly Creatures. So it's gonna, oh man, these plays on words are amazing, aren't they? You guys are blown away. Uh, the level of creativity in this is outstanding. Uh, so really we're going to be talking about a theology of heaven and then uh, on July the 15th, what the hell. Um, so what's going on there with that idea and um, how might we make sense of that in a way that seems coherent with the idea of God that we see presented to us in Jesus? Um, and then we're going to do a bit of, I guess theologically what you'd call eschatology, um, but we're going to flip the script on that in some interesting ways, I think. So uh, there's all this language uh, in the early church about antichrist, and, and when I was growing up, that was a big, that was a big deal, but in some really unusual and perhaps unhelpful ways. And so I want to try and get at what might be really going on in some of that um, scripture. Uh, and so there was also this idea of the rapture that I grew up with, which is where everybody sort of at some point flies away to meet the Lord. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to play with that a little bit and, uh, and wrap up with a series on Behold, I Make All Things New. Or do I? Cool. Yeah, so that's just thought I'd let you know so you can get all anticipatory, which is what I can see in your faces right now. Um, okay, so, oh yeah, let's get to there. Um, what I want to do is actually mostly have, assuming that I um, am able to stop myself from talking, mostly have discussion around some things tonight, uh, and then I'll try and tie things in as we go along. Um, I want to just bring us back to some of the key ideas that we've been exploring so far throughout this series because I know that not all of us have been, some of us haven't been to any of them or maybe just picked up one here and there. So I'm going to do like a quick recap of a couple of big ideas uh, and then see what that means for us in terms of us grappling with this idea of um, what in the first century they called the good news of the gospel. Um, and and I guess I'm I'm aware as we've been going through this series, we've been 
tackling a bunch of different topics that at times have made us go, oh, that's, an, that's, a, that's a different way of looking at that. And it can feel like quite hard work sometimes uh, to work your way through what might seem like some quite big ideas and think, man, it was just pretty straightforward back in the day when someone was just like, Jesus died for your sins so you can be forgiven and go to heaven. And you're like, bam, I can get that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's super straightforward. And then our songs kind of just reinforce it to us. And our church tradition in many respects can kind of reinforce that to us. And it's like, it's like pow. And used to be an old thing. You could like light a match uh, and share your testimony, you know, before the match goes out. That was a trick back in the day. Um, <laughs> like things could be like boiled down, straightforward. Some of you would have trouble with the match thing, eh? I reckon. Telling your test, yeah, anyway. Um, there's kind of a real, I, in some ways, I, to be honest, I miss that simplicity. Because there's something really nice about just how straightforward and simple and easy to say that is. What I don't miss is the way that that simplicity intersected with my life and I found that it made much less sense than I imagined that it did, you know? And, um, but what I'm also aware is as we work our way through some of these different ideas, it can feel like, oh man, this is, this, this is like a lot to grapple with. Um, and I think partly that's because again, the, the tradition we're in, and not even just the tradition we're in, but even popular culture's perception of what the Christian tradition is reinforces. So whenever you intersect with Christianity, even in, in pop culture, it's often with it's often reinforcing the the versions of Christianity that um, perhaps have been popularized through certain streams of of media. So uh, and the history of the church. Uh, so it feels like a bit of tough work sometimes, but actually, the things we talked about before is really simple ideas. In some sense, were only simple to us because they were built on the back of long conversations other people had had about really complicated things that had been distilled over time into really simple formulas. And so we are kind of re-entering into the conversation again and saying, well, what would happen if instead of just taking the kind of conclusions they reached, we went back into the conversation and, and worked our way through it too. And sometimes we find maybe we come to some different conclusions uh, than, uh, than some traditions within, within the church, but not with all. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're, that's what we're hoping to, to do. Um, we started out back now, a couple of months back, and um, we talked about two of the predominant ways that atonement theology, which is really how does Jesus' death relate to us, our idea of salvation, uh, of being reconciled with God. That's what the idea of atonement is about. Um, and there are two predominant views that the church has tended or that have been focused on within the history of the church, uh, probably down in, in the dominant tradition. And one of those is, and especially in the early centuries after Christ, were these images of redemption or ransom. Uh, so when Jesus says um, he came to give his life as a ransom, uh, redemption is the image about liberation or, or freedom from slavery. Uh, and for some of the early church fathers in particular, this meant they talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus as a victory over the devil. Uh, the, the devil was holding us hostage, if you like, and, um, and Jesus' death was like a payment to the devil, and so then the devil released us, but then Jesus rose again and the devil was left with nothing. Ha ha, in your face. 
Um, that's kind of the way the, the story went. Um, the second one that we looked at was, was around the idea of sacrifice and how particularly from the 16th century onwards and in the Calvinist tradition, uh, this idea of Jesus' death as a blood sacrifice which uh, where he steps in, we're sort of guilty before God and Jesus steps in and takes a hit for the team, uh, takes our punishment upon himself that God needs to dish out because of God's justice so that we can now, you know, God, our sin is put on Jesus and Jesus' innocence and righteousness is put on us. And so there's a little bit of a swoopsie, swoozy, swoopsie, that's not a word, anyway. Swap. Uh, that's what I meant, eh? Swapsie. That's what I was trying to say. That's not a word either, but um, it was closer to a word. Um, and so in the first few centuries, the ransom and, and redemption and rescue metaphors were most prominent. And uh, from the Middle Ages onwards, really, it was this sacrifice and what became known as the penal substitution approach was uh, the most dominant. Um, but both, when we reflected on them, have got a few issues, right? Uh, and the first one, humans are almost bystanders in this story. Um, it's really, a, it's God and the devil duking it out and humans are sort of being, uh, with, with, a, with a sort of the third wheel in the story, if you like, and God and the devil are almost equal but opposites and God sort of manages to trick the devil in the end and win us our freedom. Uh, and when you read the Gospels, that's probably not the predominant story we see being presented there. Humans are intricately involved in the story, in, in the death of Jesus um, and in the response to Jesus rising. Uh, and then in the, in the sacrifice metaphors, certainly in the way that um, I grew up with, um, have a tendency to uh, have this angry uh, father who, who needs to judge because of his own internal justice and how holy he is. Um, and we have this image of a, of a God who needs the blood of an innocent man um, to forgive. And that seems to stand in contrast with much of what Jesus says and does, who goes around forgiving people and, um, and asking us to forgive people. He doesn't say, well, you know, when your brother or sister has wronged you, um, find something uh, innocent, kill it, and then, uh, and then forgive them, or get them to find something innocent, kill it, and then forgive them. Um, that's not what God asks of us, but it's also not what we see Jesus do either. Jesus uh, offers forgiveness seemingly uh, with abandon, uh, just um, without entering into the whole sacrificial system. Um, so what we've been trying to do is see if we can look at this from some other perspectives that connect with the story of Jesus as we see it in the Gospels and into the remainder of the New Testament, um, but might make a bit more sense, to me at least. That's what I've been trying to do. Cool? You all right? Yeah, good. All right, so we talked about, um, we've talked about four different ways of looking at the story over the last little while. Um, and the first was when we looked at the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as this archetypal story, that in some way the story of Jesus is our story. It's the story of humanity, uh, that we journey through a dying uh, to all sorts of things, um, but also this new life that emerges on the other side of that death. 
And so a lot of the language in the New Testament um, that Paul uses, for example, is this idea that we are crucified with Christ and then we, we uh, experience the new life of Christ on the other side. And so there's this ongoing cycle of uh, dying with Christ and rising with Christ. Um, so Christ stands as this archetypal image of the human experience and the human journey towards uh, fullness and flourishing and, and wholeness, salvation. Um, and also this idea that even something fundamental in reality is present in the story of Jesus' death and rising, uh, which is that all of reality seems to go through this process of into the dark and into the death and then out the other side into new life. So we talked a bit about that and what that actually means for our journey and coming to grips with some of our own darkness, some of our own having to uh, let go of things or lay things down or confront our own um, dark side and figuring out what might be on the other side of that. Um, so that's interesting, I think. Uh, we also spent some time talking about the death of God uh, and without going back into some you know, deep Nietzsche, um, this phrase is used differently by philosophers and theologians and it can mean different things to different people, but we were playing around with the idea that in some way God enters into the experience of death uh, on, the, on the cross with Jesus, that if Jesus is where the divine presence is found, then God ex- enters into suffering and even this experience of feeling distant from God. Um, and we might also say that uh, all sorts of ideas about God die on the cross with Jesus as well. God as this object out there far away who um, peers over the clouds at us. Um, all right. We also talked about uh, the life of Jesus in the context of his life as this one who really in the kind of message that he embodied and spoke um, contrast, uh, had a stark contrast with the religious and political systems that were around him. So uh, he, his life embraced this way of being that was nonviolent, uh, but that also refused to buy into all, sorts, all the manipulative and oppressive religious games that were being played at the time. And so in the end, he becomes the enemy of the religious leaders and he also becomes the enemy in the end of the empire. Uh, and even the phrase, Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, which Paul uses a lot, is, is in direct contrast to the idea of Caesar, who is the Lord and Saviour in the Roman Empire. Um, and so Jesus' death holds a lot of meaning for us in terms of the kind of life that he lives and what happens to people who live that kind of life, but also this resurrection is an idea that uh, God might... Um, still have something to say about that and that in the end the powers of um, violence and oppression and empire and all of that do not um, win in the end because God's way of love is more powerful. Thank you. Thank you for that shout out, Andrew. I appreciate that. Uh, And then last time, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the idea of scapegoating and the way which it emerged within ancient societies as a mechanism for controlling human violence and the way that flowed into uh, religious rituals of sacrifice, not just in ancient Israel, but in all sorts of ancient societies, Uh, and how the death of Jesus is um, not from this perspective an endorsement of that whole sacrificial system, but maybe a rejection of the whole sacrificial system. Because Jesus is the scapegoat in the first century for everybody. If we kill Jesus, that'll solve all the problems that we've got and put things back to the way they were. And um, 
And again, in the symbol of Jesus rising, there's this, it turns out the scapegoat was God. It turns out the one they were scapegoating um, turned out to be where God was present and uh, exposes the whole system of the way in which we um, project our sin and our violence onto others, dehumanise others so that then we can blame them for all our problems and then crush them. Um, In the story of Jesus, that whole thing is opened up and exposed and named and then overcome in the new life of resurrection and we're invited to live differently in the world. All right. So that's kind of the ground we've covered. You with me? Yeah? Yeah? Cool. Um, That took a lot longer to say than just Jesus died for your sins and now you're forgiven and rose again and and go to heaven one day. Um, But I think it's still good news. What What I would really actually like for us to do and for this, you're going to have to enter into this experience with me. Otherwise, this is going to be really um, lame. But what I'd like to do is um, for us to think for a minute about this question, what is the good news of the gospel? And um, because one of the things they were convinced of in the first century was that this was good news. Um, and... I, the, I talked about the lighting the match uh, testimony thing that I grew up with. There was another thing which was always like, okay, in two minutes, um, you, uh, what is the gospel? Two minutes. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we'd have to get up and go, oh, oh, and as you can tell, I got it down to about 10 seconds with my Jesus died, forgave us his sins and so on. Um, but what I'd be interested for us to do is to talk maybe just uh, with the people around, uh, maybe one or two people around us for a minute, for a few minutes, and talk about this question, what is the good news of the gospel? In light of some of what I've just said, and if you've come new into tonight and you're like, whoa, that's some fresh ideas of certain kinds, um, that's cool. Just Let's just go with it and see how we go. Um, but I'd love for you to think about this question, and if the question makes you um, not know what to say, that's totally cool. Talk about that. Why not? Um, but if there is something to say, what I'd love for us to do is for some of you to jot down a few ideas and then we'll, uh, we'll try a little two-minute um, what is the gospel chat. What do you reckon? Are you game? This does, what we're trying to do at Formation is not have this um, massive barrier between uh, the person up the front talking and the people who are here because we want this to be an experience where we're actually comfortable saying stuff and sharing stuff and sharing our ideas together. Um, so if we give you like five or ten, maybe ten minutes, or five, five or ten, we'll see how we go. We'll see how you're going. And then, and then if any of you feel like, yeah, I think I can do this, then we'll, we'll set up a little timer. And um, you can have two minutes or less to tell us what you think the good news of the gospel is. What do you reckon? Renee? Um, to clarify. Yes. Just clarifying the question, coming from, are we coming from a perspective or having come from a perspective of an old version of the gospel, the like Jesus died for your sins version of the gospel? Are we trying to pull in the things that we've talked about in the last few formation series and then re, like reframe or like reframe the good news of the gospel in light of these thoughts? 
Well, uh, yes, and if that's what you, um, if you would like to integrate the thoughts that we've been talking about. Um, so certainly you're not um, forced to say, right, you must integrate all of the things that we've discussed, because there might be some of them you're like, I don't know if I'm really down with that, or I think I see that differently, and that's totally cool. But I would like us to think about this question in light of some of the um, things we've been talking about. Um, if someone was to, you know, just say, right, so what is this, what is this gospel of Jesus? Um, and we had less than two minutes to answer that question, which is like, I, I don't in, expect, I don't think we should be able to explain the gospel in less than two minutes, because I think the idea is that it's such a mysterious and expansive and um, ever sort of um, expanding um, story that we have to keep coming back to and seeing again and seeing in fresh ways. Uh, so this is not like, man, uh, we're looking for the perfect answer to this question. This is more like a chance to say, what if I was to boil down at least some of the key ideas that I think sit at the heart of the Jesus story and if I was to try and tell someone that and I only had less than two minutes, what would I do? Does that make sense? Yeah? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know about this, man. But I reckon you'll be right. Yeah? And you don't all have to, so if you're like, please don't, I'm not going to like pick on you and make you do this. But if some people are happy to, then we'll give it a go. So I'll give you a few minutes, talk about this, see what happens. Sort it all out. You've got, you have now got all the answers. Christianity clocked. Um, how was that? Interesting conversation? Any, uh, any different perspectives among the groups? Yeah. Yeah, which I think is... Part of the beauty of this whole thing is that um, no matter... If we were to sit, lock ourselves in a room uh, and try and nut this out for the next six months... Uh, we'd still come out thinking slightly differently about it, I guarantee you, <laughs> from one another. That's part of the beauty of the story. And I think that's part of the beauty of the fact that in the scriptures we have a sacred story, not a, um, not a doctrinal summary bullet points, you know. Um, so is anyone willing to like give this a go? To like do a, do a under, into, under two, yes, Yvette is willing. You're always ready to, Preach, that's what you're telling me, eh? Fiona might have. Hmm? Fiona might have. Now the question is going to be, uh, so, yeah, the good news of the gospel, and you do have two minutes. Two minutes? Two, that's what I said, isn't it? I said two. Well, I'll just go with what I've got here from the group. Well, it doesn't have to, it's two minutes or under. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Timer on, and then you'll stop. At two minutes, you'll have to stop. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay. And, and I might pass it. We might do a group thing. I might pass over to Fiona. Oh, in two minutes. Man, challenge. Physical challenge. Uh, all right. You ready? Um, so what is the good news of the gospel, which is the good news? So what is the good news of the good news is sort of what we were thinking. There, well, 
I guess the first thing that sprung to my mind and some others that was sort of similar was there is always hope. Um, that's good news. There's always hope even in oppression, even in death, even in persecution, there's always hope. Um, and I think hope of hope that there, there can be peace, there can be love, um, that, and that Jesus is the incarnation of that. Um, so that's, yeah, we spoke a lot about acceptance, feeling accepted. That's good news. Knowing that we're accepted and loved, knowing that we are loved by others and knowing that we are loved by God. And then we started talking about who God is and knowing that we're loved by a loving God and a good God and that um, we're never alone. That's good news. Um, that God is with us through the ups and downs. That's what Fiona said. And that we bear the image of God. And what that means is that's good news. We kind of can have that image and be that. And be that enables us to be transforming like God transforms us, that we can be part of transformation. Um, God is good and loving and having that. Uh, um, these are my notes, which I, I'm trying to make sense of. Yeah, God's love in us um, yeah, can help us to be transforming. So I guess, was there anything that I missed? Yeah. One minute 40. Give it the gear. Yeah, absolutely. Round of applause. Gospel presentation from the group up the back. In one minute and 40 seconds. Wonderful. Packed a lot into that time. Anyone else? Okay. Yes, we're going to go here. Um, so the good news of the gospel, and this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, is that the Desert Fathers and the Catholic Universal Church of the past cultivated an orthodox narrative that we can live by in so far as like you don't have to sacrifice in the way of the Old Testament. There is a closer God that God is not so distant, um, kind of touching on all the points that we've talked about over the course of, what's it called here? Formation. Formation. Jeez. Um, but yeah, um, just this idea that we don't have to live and we are not bound by the constraints that may have been apparent within the Old Testament and that, yeah, God is present and a closer and personal God than we may have imagined him to be in the past. One minute on the dot. You guys. All right. Thank you. Yes, round of applause. Gospel presentation. Thank you. All right. You've got two minutes. Okay. Um, basically, there are, in the scripture, there are two answers to the good news of the gospel. Um, one is that you can be saved. Now, that brings another question. What in the world do you mean by being saved? Um, but I, I think that you know the word self-saved, salvation, and so on is is very prominent in the message of Jesus. And um, I suppose basically it's down to you are saved from the grip of sin and for the power of sin over your life. That that is one answer. The other one that comes particularly in John ten ten, where Jesus said, "I am come that people might have life." I mean, the word life comes very much 
into the message of Jesus over and over again in John and in First John and that sort of thing. There's there's so much about life, and Jesus said, "I'm come, you might have life; they might have life, and that might have it to the full or have it abundantly." And so I, I think the good news of the gospel, and I would say to anybody, is that, and many people I think actually would say, yeah, my life's pretty good, what, you know, why does it need enhancement? Why does it need to be supercharged? And I think the basic message is that without Jesus, there is something missing from your life. With Jesus, you have the opportunity to go up a level. Um, and so... You know that that are the, the quality of life, and also the whole business. Uh, I mean, in the, the Philippian jailer said to um, to the prisoners, "What says? What must I do to be saved?" And they told him what he needed to be saved. You've got ten seconds. Ten seconds. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. So that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful finish. Wonderful finish. Sorry to you know give you, that was the ten second countdown, but uh, thank you. Wonderful. Good, all right. Yes, while I'm over here. Uh, I'm not very good at this. My children tell me I'd pleat on for way too long. Uh, what I initially said when talking with a group uh, was that uh, in the incarnation, a death and resurrection of Jesus, God came close. He came close to our pain, our brokenness, our suffering. Uh, and the good news is that he's created a way for us to uh, have a redemptive relationship where our brokenness is able to be redeemed and that we're able to then partner with him in bringing that redemption uh, to all of creation. Uh, that, uh, that he didn't come just to save me, uh, he came to save uh, all of creation from the effects of this brokenness. Uh, what I would add to that now also is that through the resurrection and ascension, he has given great dignity to being human. That, that in, in taking on flesh, but not only taking it on here, but on uh, through the resurrection and ascension, uh, uh, God is tied with humanity so that it is good to be human. It is good to enjoy a cup of coffee. It is good to... Uh, we don't need to be saved from humanness. Um, we, we need to embrace what it is to be human, and what it is to have relationships, what it is to be creative, what it is to... Um, salvation is to be truly human. Oh. Minute 40, I'm ready to get saved. Man, gospel. Yes, all right. Ben. Thank you. Um, the gospel was a 2,000-year-old propaganda used by an oppressed people to unite and grow and eventually overthrow the Roman Empire, dominated through passive resistance and stuff, and is now open to interpretation. Thank you, Ben. 16 seconds. I appreciate that. Yes, okay, Josh. Oh, no, you don't want the timer. Okay, so we had lots of different ideas. <clears throat> First one being, 
the good news, the gospel, involves some sort of dimensional shift where the kingdom of God sprouts out of the earth as, as good plants in an old, an old field. We have the end of aloneness, the end of individualism and um, you know the cellular, the cancerous cell that only wants to replicate itself but instead being part of the tapestry of the community of, of humans uh, within the church, I guess in this case. Um, direct access to the author through prayer and, uh, and thoughts and knowing that the, the person running the show is, is right there and you don't need a priesthood to speak through. That you can reach a state of spiritual ecstasy by songs or meditation or um, prayer where you feel um, free and, and, and peaceful. Uh, also that there's a foundational rock underneath the life, something to have a consistency to return to when things get wild. Transcendence of suffering, when pain comes, you can find contentment in the, in the rain and the storm and, and, you know, in whatever situation because you have, a, you have a hope. And finally, that we are children of God, each of us co-heirs with Christ um, in one family that we can talk to a God who calls us, who we can call Father, that, um, you know, doesn't, it would only judge us in the unconditional love of, of a Father. Sweet, that's it. Oh, you got to the 10 second countdown as well. Um, thank you. Wonderful. Any more? Is that it? That's it. That was uh, that's good. Um, all sorts of ideas emerging from out of the conversations and perspectives and insights. Um, uh, what we're going to do is, in light of that, take a little uh, break for a cup of tea, and then uh, and regather ourselves in light of all of that um, good news <laughs> or uh, or propaganda. <laughs> so. Um, is that cool? We'll have a cup of tea and then uh, five minutes and then we'll, we'll regather and, and see where we take ourselves over the last part of tonight. Cool. Uh, thank you for participating earlier. Much appreciated. Uh, uh, I, I am... One of the things about this community that I really love is the way in which we are able to hold different stories in the same space uh, and for us to be on this journey um, of figuring out what we think is going on with faith and with life and with our own journey and with our own experience and with what it means to be human in the midst of all of that um, and to be figuring that out in a community uh, where we can hold our differences with one another is a really, really beautiful and rare thing. I think one of the things happening in the world at the moment is people are finding it very difficult to hold difference within community and my hope is that um, church communities while often not this can be um, communities of people where we can actually learn to um, cultivate kindness and generosity towards one another in our difference um, and that that could be a part of what is beautiful about this thing
Um, so thank you for honestly sharing and not just packaging up a um, what Michael wants me to say response. Um, but authenticity, I think, is a beautiful thing when we can actually honestly express what it is that's going around our minds and hearts. Um, so there's a couple of things I want to do before we finish. Yeah, we're going to finish with dinner again together tonight. Um, I wanted to, to think about this idea of gospel in terms of the fact that, um, for starters, Jesus, Jesus starts with a, with a gospel himself. It's, he starts preaching a gospel of the kingdom uh, quite very early on, right at the start of his ministry. And so in that sense, the idea of gospel, is, as is emerging, I think, in what you guys are saying, is not necessarily all about this particular event of death and resurrection, but that itself fits within a much larger story of what it is that God is up to um, and what it is that Jesus is wanting to talk about. Uh, last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before, I think it might be the year before, we did a series on the Beatitudes on Sunday morning at Edge. And um, at the end of that series, if you remember the Beatitudes, which are at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, so that Jesus first, um, well, Matthew records this as Jesus' first sermon. And the, be the beginning of him preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, if you like. And uh, at the end of that series, I... I did a reworking or a rewording of the Beatitudes in light of the way we'd unpacked them. And so I wanted to just put those up again because I reread them again this week and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I feel like it connects with some of what we've been talking about. Is that all right? So uh, the Beatitudes, if you know them in the Sermon on the Mount, go something like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those... Uh, who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those in hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, and so on they go. And so in talking about them and unpacking what they might have meant to the people who heard them, and so then reframing those in a way that help us to see them afresh. This is, oh, it's gone. Where is it? Oh, no, that, oh, there it is. I'd already done that, had I? Um, this is what I had. God is with those who are down and out and who don't have it all together. God is with those who are in deep grief, a grief that makes them unable to participate fully in the so-called successful strategies of everyday life. God is with those who do not use power and strength over others in order to make their way in the world. God is with those who desire that things will be put right and that the unjust systems of the world would be dismantled. God is with those who show mercy to the suffering and forgiveness to one another, rather than seeking retribution for the ways in which they feel they've been wronged. God is with those who recognise that it is the heart that matters, not just the external indicators of approved behaviour. God is with those who resist ways of violence and oppression in the world and instead seek to become agents of peace and reconciliation between those who do not yet understand or love one another. God is with those who, because they seek to live in this kind of reality, may encounter the oppression and disdain of those with power, wealth and status. And as I reread these again, this week I was um, struck, I guess, by the way in which the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus in so many ways is actually captured within these Beatitudes. This is the message that Jesus then embodies 
in the life and, and his ministry and the things that he says and that he does. So he starts with preaching this good news. Uh, and this good news is, hey, this, the, the things, the way that, that you see them and the way that they are around you and the way in which uh, the world is structured according to empire and violence and so on is not the way the world has to be and it's not the way that God is active in the world. Uh, and then he embodies this, preaches this, and in the end, um, that last one where he, in the original translation, something like, you know, are blessed are those who are persecuted, um, for they will be called sons of God. And that last beatitude is in light of all of the other beatitudes that Jesus has worked through. And that in some way that is his reality that he lives out. He lives out these beatitudes and the end result is his own persecution to the point of execution. Um, and yet the symbol of his rising is this, this suggestion that this is the way the world is uh, at its heart. This is what God desires for us and for the world. And this is the way that, of life that prevails. Um, and so we're invited to follow Jesus. That's, I guess, that's the call of the Christian story. Um, there's this idea of radical acceptance, uh, language of grace that sits within the New Testament uh, that reaches into the world and offers something beautiful uh, even to those whom we would, whether it be ourselves or others, label as not the ones who get that. And out of that radical grace comes this taking up a responsibility to then live differently in the world. Um, and so Jesus names this idea of being reconciled with God and embodies that story, reconciles us with God, if you like. And we then live out this life of reconciling with one another and with ourselves uh, and with all of the creation that we live within. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to do as our final little discussion before we stop and eat together is introduce an idea that we haven't actually talked about all that much, uh, which is kind of intentional because I think it's, it's usually where the conversation begins. And so I want to kind of end it here and see if we might talk about it a little differently than we would have otherwise, which is to ask this question, um, what's forgiveness got to do with it. So um, there's this idea of forgiveness that you find throughout the story of Scripture. And we've in many ways been trying to move away from this notion that uh, God is sitting up there with this checklist of things going, oh, no, very disappointing. Yes, quite disappointing. Oh, very, very disappointing. Um, there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to be dished out to those people, but um, I'll wait to see if they uh, pray that prayer <clears throat> and then they might get some. Um, so if we've, if we've moved away from that particular narrative of the story, uh, what role then does forgiveness play? What's the importance or otherwise of this idea of forgiveness within our Christian faith, whether it be with God or with one another? So what I'd love for you to do is, is have another conversation uh, and this is where we'll head towards the end tonight um, about this idea of forgiveness. Is there anything we might have to say about that? And if so, what? Is that cool? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Let's uh, regather.
Um, just leave a big topic right for the end, eh? Just open that up. I mean, like, cool. We've sorted all of that. Now let's... No, thank you. <laughs> and I said the F word for the first time. Accidentally. Accidentally. It wasn't said in anger. The word forgiveness, no. No, the, the, the other one. Uh, fun. Uh, and <laughs> my friend had said something and I'd kind of imitated him. David Ferrier, old mate. Uh, he'd said something and then I sort of imitated him. But his sentence had contained, you know, the old F-bomb and so mine did too. And then I suddenly thought, because <gasps> I mean, I was, you know, you, some of you know enough of my story to know that didn't go down well in Hastings Pentecostal churches. So um, there was at school, on the school field. So I took myself off to the corner <laughs> and I sat down in the corner of the school field and faced the fence and I had to pray my repentance prayer <laughs> and plead with God's forgiveness. Yes. So um, anyway, good on me. <laughs> Anyone got any thought? We won't spend a long time here, but I did want to open that up. And if you feel like, man, this does not tie this all in a neat bow. Yep. Uh, dirty old edge, eh? Um, but I'd like to just get a couple of thoughts before we then are able to finish up. Um, to me, it's it talks about relationship. Um, I come from a point of view that God is a relational God and forgiveness is about reconnecting and so. You know, it always goes back to the Christ, what we talked in our discussions this evening. And, um, yeah, that, that, that what Jesus did was um, he offered an opportunity to reconnect and come into relationship again. And Thanks. Anyone else? Uh, for me, forgiveness has often been seen as a transactional term of a releasing of debt. Uh, and I, I agree, I think it's a relational term. It's a restoring of relationship. Um, so I think it... Uh, I use the illustration of, of my relationship with my wife. Uh, neither of us sit there with a ledger though it feels like sometimes <laughs> she might. Um, <laughs> we don't have a ledger where we're, we're marking wrongs against each other and then we, we need to go through and cross those out. Uh, it's that at times I do wrong my wife and I don't treat her the way she should and it damages our relationship. And forgiveness is a restoring of that relationship. I think it's the same with God. Thanks, man. Awesome. Anyone else? Um, I didn't actually share this in the group, but I've always sort of seen. Do you mind holding that? Um, thanks. Um, forgiveness is um, like when someone wrongs me, then I have to, if they say, please forgive me, I actually absorb that pain. It's like 
I don't leave it sitting there or hold it. I kind of, it kind of goes into me and I take it on and I go, okay, I'm going to keep that pain with me. I'm not going to say, no, you, you deserve to pay me back or whatever. Um, and I, I sort of relate that a little bit to what how, how Jesus did that is that we wronged him, but he was like absorbed, absorbed that pain inside, into him and took it on. I don't know if that makes sense. Thank you. Awesome. Um, forgiveness leads to freedom because you find forgiveness for yourself and it makes the next time way easier for you to, um, I guess, overlook your mistakes or things that people have done to you or how they've hurt you because you let go of a grudge or a connection to something negative and you grow into a space where freedom can dwell because you have forgiveness first. And I, yeah, my idea is just that forgiveness has a lot to do with what Jesus wanted to say to us, I think, and the freedom that God gives us. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? Last person? Yes. My thing is more of a question and probably not a helpful one. But I was just thinking about how I, for me, I feel like I kind of consider forgiveness to be like the absence or opposite of bitterness. And like, I think bitterness is ugly and like eats you up and I just don't want a part of it. So then for me, I feel like sometimes I forgive selfishly because I don't want to feel a particular way. And that's kind of, I don't feel like I have an answer to that, but thinking about is, is yeah, can forgiveness be selfish? Or like, is it supposedly selfless? Because in, in, in theory, it's meant to be like doing better for both people. But can, yeah, can you forgive selfishly? That's not helpful, but <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Thanks. Yes? An almost formed thought. An almost formed thought. Almost formed. That'll do. <laughs> um, yes, bear with me. And it's kind of, I totally agree with forgiveness as a f relational form of like releasing someone from bitterness or debting against you. But when we, the question for me that I've been on a totally different tangent with is what's forgiveness got to do with it, like the gospel? And how you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> in an earlier season, that um, Jesus was going around forgiving people before he'd even died and risen again. And so that that was not needed for him to go around forgiving people. And then my question is, what is forgiveness in that context? Jesus was, for, like the act of forgiveness, him saying, you are forgiven, go be healed, was like, more like a reconciliation with self, like, oh, this, I'm, you know, for whatever reason, I'm an outcast or I'm on the outside and he's coming and saying, I see you and be reconciled with yourself. Like, you're okay. Like to, and I guess my sort of pathway at the moment is the gospel being, that being the most important part of the gospel to me is like the way that he walked and saw people. And um, so forgiveness is a word that I think it 
is loaded in that sense because I feel like the forgiveness that Jesus offered was not I forgive you for doing wrong, but I see you and you're okay kind of a thing. Anyway, that's where I'm on. It's nice for an almost formed thought. Um, so we come to the end of the series. This is where I do my brilliant uh, tie together. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if I've got one. Um, and I think what is exciting to me still um, about the Christian story is that it continues to um, to open up. And so you find yourself working your way through an idea or a conversation. Um, and just when you're like, yeah, I think this is coming together. Um, this is not to say it doesn't come together, but that it also just continues to open up in front of you. Uh, and this is a conversation that we enter into and we continue and that our Christian life, if you like, the life of what it is to follow Christ, um, is this ongoing unfolding journey of that, of wrestling with what it does really mean to be human in the light of God, of what it really means to be reconciled, what, you know, these ideas are ones that remain with us and that we ask in new ways and in different ways each time we come back to the conversation. And I, a part of me, and maybe when I was 20, maybe I, and so for those of you who are young, um, younger than me, um, might feel like this too, which when I, when I was that age, I suppose, I, I, I really loved the idea of a concrete thing that I could just like package up with me and take around and feel like I was totally confident about absolutely everything. And I was, and I blasted my way through the world and through a few people as I um, dispensed my judgments upon my peers uh, with supreme confidence. Um, but I, what I'm enjoying about my journey now, I think, is the way in which it continues to open up before me and unfold in surprising ways. And so there are still unanswered questions for me um, that I continue to come back to and to explore and to rediscover. And yet there's also something profoundly meaningful in the midst of that journey that isn't like just floating in the breeze. Uh, it is grounded in this um, profound truth of story of Jesus for me. Um, I wonder if in, if in this idea of forgiveness there is, I think in, in the story of Jesus and in the gospel and the Christian tradition, there is this idea that we do come face to face with ourselves and we do become aware of what we are capable of, both in a beautiful sense and in a difficult, tragic, sometimes painful sense. And um, and I love that idea of being reconciled with yourself. And somehow you actually see in the New Testament these continual connections between being reconciled with God, reconciled with yourself and reconciled with other people. And so it's never just this vertical me and God, how are we, how does that fit? But that's always somehow, connect, it's all connected as a part of the same story in terms of am I reconciled in myself and what are my relationships like with the people that are around me? 
And somehow this story of um, forgiveness and reconciliation and relationship enters into the midst of all of those, all of that context and reshapes it and invites us to live differently. So um, with that in mind, that's a good place to finish. <laughs> yes. Um, is that cool? All right. Bless us. Bless us. I'm going to hand over to um, Renee with a couple of notices, but I'm going to pray to finish. Is that all right? Would you like to just stand up? Because it's um, closer to heaven. Oh, maybe we'll find out in two weeks it wasn't closer to heaven. Um, okay, I'll pray and then Renee's just got a few things to tell us. God, we stand and gather and breathe and remember that somehow a story of a wandering mystical prophet in the first century is still present with us. We still come to this story and it's not just an ancient story but it's somehow our story too. And there's something still alive in it that meets us. And so may we continue to breathe in and out in that story. May your spirit be present among us and within us and between us and before us and behind us as we continue to discover what it means to be alive and to be human and to live in the reconciling work of Jesus. Help us to be the kinds of people that include and love and embrace and forgive and reconcile and experience liberation and bring liberation that we might be followers of Jesus. Amen.